Media Masters with Paul Blanchard. Welcome to Media Masters, a series of one-to-one interviews with people at the top of the media game. Today I'm here at the Sunday Times and joined by Lorraine Candy, Luxury Content Director and Editor-in-Chief of their Style magazine. Described by Rebecca Brooks as a titan of the fashion industry, Lorraine is a former editor of Cosmopolitan and LUK, where she was twice named Editor of the Year and led the magazine through a digital rebrand. In 2017, she joined the Sunday Times and has successfully spearheaded efforts to grow the reach and reputation of what was already the UK's top-selling quality Sunday paper. Lorraine, thanks for joining me. Thank you. So, Lorraine, luxury content director of the Sunday (laughs) Times, do tell. I know. What a joy to be able to write your own job title. So, I came to the Sunday Times to look at, I mean, they use the word, the whole world, media world, uses the word content, and, and it's stories, basically, storytelling, to look at what we were doing digitally with our storytelling around fashion and beauty, and particularly around luxury fashion and beauty, because that's where my business model is based, that's where our revenue comes from on style. So I came to edit style, which I think is fantastic, but the opportunities with style digitally are huge. And Martin Ivans, who I first met um, kind of a year before I came here, began talking to me about what he could see. And, you know, he's a kind of visionary in, in many ways. And we, d- we decided together that there was a lot that could be done around style digitally. It wasn't just a print product. There was a potential for it to live, and, to live seven days a week, which I found really exciting. I mean, I like change. I like innovation. I like working with new people, young people. I like testing new ideas. Um, I'm not afraid of it of times when people don't like you so I'm quite good at coming in and making change and applying business rationale to that so it looks like a really exciting job so I took it and left L. And has there been a a marked change of pace for you personally going from a monthly title to a weekly one? Um, Not not really in a way my background is between newspapers and magazines I was features editor at the Times um, for a long time and I was deputy editor on the launch of the Times Saturday magazine when it went from newsprint to glossy Um, I was uh, Uh, features editor when we launched times two so for me I've been in that weekly daily pace before I mean it's been a long time I was at L 12 years I was at Cosmo four years so obviously a lot has changed in that time but I'm quite used to adapting to pace I've got an amazing team at style a really amazing team I brought in some people I know are absolutely brilliant and I've got a fantastic deputy who's been here um, for five years already so you're only as good as the people around you. And if people want to change, they'll change with you, which I think has been very exciting. I've been here nearly a year now and it's been, it's been really enjoyable. The pace is great, actually. I like the pace. Did you always want to be a journalist or did you always want to be an editor? That's a really interesting question, actually, isn't it? Um, I think I always wanted to be a journalist. I left school at 16 to intern on a local newspaper in Cornwall. Seems to be the standard way and... up, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. A way in, I should and say. It and was, it was, I just loved every single minute of it I was fascinated by newspaper history I'd read so many books you know I'd read all about the Watergate affair I was kind of you know how people like a niche thing I was I very much and I loved fashion as well so I kind of I realized I suppose when I was in my early 20s that I wasn't going to win a Pulitzer Prize for writing and that perhaps um, I was never going to be a war reporter (laughs) but I liked making things I used to kind of love putting a magazine together and I'm really fascinated 
fascinated by visuals. I've always loved photography, particularly fashion photography and beauty photography uh, and reportage over the years. So, you know, as magazines, I worked on Marie Claire with Glenda Bailey, um, which was really groundbreaking because it was driven by its reportage photography. It was an amazing fashion magazine, but it was also a brilliant magazine around politics. And it was probably the only women's magazine at the time that was kind of spearheading fantastic journalism and you know we were commissioning really big writers to do amazing things on a women's magazine so for me that felt like the perfect combination of everything and being able to edit that I'm much better at editing than writing I think. So what came immediately after the local news break as it were talk (laughs) us through your career in terms of the stages and what the challenges have been. Well I worked on the Cornish Times which um, was a weekly newspaper based in a small town in Cornwall called Liscard where it was printed on the premises it was amazing you could see the paper coming together every week which was absolutely fascinating I was 16 I was a kind of intern apprentice there and then I came to London to work on the Wimbledon News to do the NCTJ uh, apprenticeship So that uh, must have scheme. felt like a big move at the yeah, time. Yeah, it was kind of amazing. I left home. Daunting. So uh, we lived in a little bed sit. Yeah, it was really daunting. I lived in Streatham and worked in Wimbledon. Everyone seems to um, start another Clapham or Streatham. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I worked, my career began at the same time. So Piers Morgan and I worked on the same paper. We were there together. We both began our careers. And Robin McGibbon, who... Um, there's a lot of reporting still now. So I, I kind of hit it lucky. I hit the right paper, the right newspaper, where I did crime and health and, you know, the whole gamut of storytelling, basically. And I, I really learned. I had a fantastic news editor who'd come from the Nationals, who really understood, and he really pushed us. I can't say it was <laughs> fabulously enjoyable. It was really hard work. And for those two years, when I first came to London, I did the apprenticeship, but I also, at the weekends, I started to do shifts on the National newspapers. So for about three years, I worked sort of seven days a week. I had an absolutely brilliant time. Loved London, loved being in London. Um, and then I got, started to get offered jobs on, on National Papers um, as a feature writer, and I worked on The Mirror. I worked on The Sun on Bazaar when Kelvin McKenzie was editing it. And then I worked on The Mirror with Richard Stott, who's just one of my all-time favourite editors. He was an amazing person um, to work for. And then I worked on Today newspaper as women's editor. And I was briefly a uh, women's editor at The Sun as well before I moved into magazines. Who was editor of Today? I know Eddie Shaw owned Richard it, didn't he? Richard Stott was editor. That he was moved from the Mirror Stott, to... Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I feel it... like I'm very old now, but I did it quite quickly. I think when you start so early, you can <laughs> you pack a quite a lot in. Yeah. Meteoric rise. <laughs> also, you don't know what you don't know, so you're quite brave, I think, when you when you start out you just think well why would I not have a go at that because you haven't seen it before and you haven't seen people say well we don't do it this way or we we always do it this way you just thrust yourself forward and get on with it and presumably you've working for such esteemed and you know accomplished editors you you can't model yourself on them a little bit in terms of you know picking up the bits of their leadership that you found inspirational perhaps bits that you think right well if I ever become editor I'm not going to do that bit I think as a journalist in any career, actually, you're always on a massive learning curve. Um, and, but I think as a person, as a sort of human, you, you kind of, when you work in big environments with lots of people, open plan newsrooms, which has kind of been my whole um, career, you learn a lot about people. You have to, I think a lot of journalists have quite a high emotional intelligence. They, they can see what's going on. They've been taught to ask questions. They've been taught to get all the facts, to know all the stories. So you kind of learn along the way what's great about people and what's difficult about people. I don't think I've 
modelled myself on anyone. I mean, I worked with Glenda Bailey, who was an amazing editor on um, Marie Claire, and I learned probably more about journalism from her, actually, than I did on newspapers, because she was really smart and wanted specifics and details. And then when I worked, um, when I edited Cosmopolitan, I spent a lot of time with Helen Gurley-Brown, um, she was still editor-in-chief of all the Cosmopolitans, and I just learnt a lot about the human spirit from Helen Gurley-Brown. She was just so brave in asking for things, and she would always say, write, write a letter, just write someone a letter. People love letters, they love letters. <laughs> and she just taught me to look at life in a slightly different way and to be a little bit more thick-skinned, perhaps, and not worry so much about what people think about you, and to always be kind. She, Helen was always very, is that the kind thing to do? And she was very personal, very funny as well um, at the time in her life. So I think I learned lots of different things about being a person more than being an editor, actually, from all the people that I work with. Well, a better person makes a better editor, I would imagine. Well, I, you, you know, not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone will like your um, leadership style. But, you know, as long as you can go to bed at night being fairly happy about it, I think, you know, and I'm quite a strong believer in karma. I think it always gets you in the end. Oh, that means that I'm in serious trouble then. But wait, <laughs> anyway, this is about you, not me. Um, what's been the best kind of project or story that you've been involved in over the years? What's memorable? Oh, I feel really lucky and actually and privileged to have been... I'm incredibly nosy and curious. I think all journalists really want to know what's going on and they want to be the first to know. So they will be the people that ask the questions because they really need to know. It's, a, it's like it's in your DNA, you have to know. Um, I've, wor- I've worked on some really big news stories over the years. My first ever news story actually was, was really heartbreaking. I covered the Hillsborough disaster um, in that I interviewed, I was on the Sunday Mirror working there at weekends. I was only 18, I think, at the time. Um, and I talked to a couple who'd lost both their daughters oh, um, at Hillsborough. And I stayed in touch with them for a really long time. And they, I, I was very careful to get their story, always get their story right. So and that story is kind of, I mean, only last year, there was the, the still the court case into how the police worked during that and the news that you know the fake news at the time of that such an extraordinary learning curve so that was quite you know for me that taught me the importance of people however whoever they are they are people are still people and you have to treat them with utmost um, respect I mean I think in retrospect they talked to me because I was so young and they hadn't talked to other people um, in the media because I think they felt you know, I just left home, I was only 18, I think their daughters were in their late teens, so it was a kind of, you know, they felt safe, I think, um, talking to me. Um, but then I've been involved in lots of amazing fashion stories uh, over the years. I sp- I've spent a lot of time with Karl Lagerfeld when he was doing... Very, we did a huge project with him when I was at L. Um, when I was on Cosmopolitan, we did a project I'm really proud of. We worked... Um, there was, at the time I was at Cosmopolitan, date rape was becoming a, a crime that was actually being officially recognised and reported. Oh, um, and we worked with the um, Home Secretary, David Blunkett, at the time on setting up guidelines around what women will be prepared to talk about in terms of sex so because we had so much learning at cosmopolitan we had bags and bags full of letters of women talking about inappropriate sex so that was i was kind of privileged and proud to do that i've done you know i've done loads of fun things you know i'm a massive star wars fan we had bb8 in the fashion cupboard at l a couple of years ago never understood we star had wars. miss piggy in the fashion cupboard and with the, the whole of the american you know, with the whole of the puppeteers that are doing. So I think I just, I've had quite a lot of fun and done some things I'm very proud of. It's kind of the perfect career for someone like me. 
Now, it sounds incredible. Mm. And, and what are the current challenges at the moment? I mean, you, you mentioned it a little bit briefly at the beginning, but talk through your role now. What's a typical week like and what's top of your to-do list? So my role at the Sunday Times is, hasn't really existed before. So it's, a, it's kind of I've created it across both the digital um, and the print. And it's to bring about innovation and change in terms of how we approach digital, um, how we work with the paywall and how we work with all our digital content throughout the week Um, leading in and out of the Sunday the challenge at the moment I think is advertising revenue it's uh, I have I I fish out of the fashion and beauty pond there are only two channels for revenue for us luxury fashion and beauty Um, so I need to keep our advertisers close to us because without that we don't have a product and you know you can ignore that side of the business but I think that would be really silly you need to be absolutely engaged with that and you need to grow your print magazine as a revenue driving force because that's really predominantly what style is um and then i i've i've grown the digital around it so that we can offer kind of exciting collaborative projects we launched a video only channel called style play last year in september when we relaunched um style as a redesigned um higher quality product and that's been pretty successful actually you know we launched a a digital product in six weeks we built it um put it took it to market it's a place to co-collaborate with brands to co-produce and co-create things so that was something that was missing in in the journey for a lot of coffee was drunk in that six weeks. yeah it was quite a lot lot of (laughs) words were used and (laughs) um you know but i've got a really enthusiastic team i'm all for trying things out this is a time i think when digitally you can test things, uh, try things, learn things, I think the digital team at the Sunday Times are are hugely respected here. And I think working with them to effect change has been quite exciting because I come from a very different place. I come from a massive website with five million Facebook fans without a paywall. And I've come to a place with a paywall with uh, more of an engagement-based, subscription-based model where people paying for your content is absolutely brilliant and that's a brilliant business model. But how do we get it to the people who aren't already paying for that content who might not necessarily be in our normal audience but who would probably love style or who would probably love the um, news review, who would actually love the business section? So that's been a massive learning curve. They have a huge data science team here. I'm a bit of a nerd. I like that kind of information. I think it makes a real difference to know things um i don't think you can beat instinct i've always said that the internet really is about what it makes you feel all digital is about what it makes you feel it's always basically about storytelling and telling it to the best audience and knowing who your audience are and knowing where your new audience will be and looking at change and affecting change there so that's been quite exciting the challenges are the revenue and keeping the audience interested in in your product i think what's been amazing to come to a big newspaper like the sunday times everyone reads it everyone you know reads it that's extraordinary i kind of mail and we have more male readers than every single british male magazine combined because it's so big (laughs) we have more teenagers because it's so big and I, I've kind of, that's taken me a while to get used to because I come from a fashion magazine, so it's it's women predominantly who are interested in fashion and beauty. So it's a very specific audience, whereas this is just massive. It's it's massive and really engaged, which to me feels like a massive opportunity. And how do you raise awareness within the kind of pool if you're fishing in the pool of existing Sunday Times readers? Because you know, my dad, for example, would read the main paper the news review and maybe mm. the magazine and might not pick up the style section how you know there's someone who's bought the the paper how can you get on their radar he's 
he's bought the print version of the paper. So I think I think he's someone who would probably be reading it on the tablet as well because that's a slightly older audience um, for us, I think. But I think we've been doing it through social media. So we are looking, from my point of view on style, I'm looking for an audience who will spend money on fashion and beauty, who are interested, in, very specifically interested in that. We do have a, a, a male columnist, Toby Wiseman, who edits um, Men's Health, actually. So we do, and actually I, we do a lot of entertainment, food, what's hot now coverage, which appeals to both male and females. And I think you can be fairly genderless in, in, in that. That's just great content. So we try and bounce them across all our digital um, stories. So I might, I find, we found with the data science team that a lot of women that be the business section, their next stop is style. So we look at that journey and we think, where could we insert on the internet, on the web, uh, the website, Sunday Times website, where could we insert the stories that we can drive them around the website so we'll bring in a new audience. And also we do a lot of digital marketing. We look at audiences and we target them specifically with content we think that they're really going to want. So that's really exciting. I also go to news conference two or three times a week. So part of my remit is to every now and again offer stories that are slightly different from Stories that would perhaps, you know, this is where I think Martin is, is pretty visionary in the way he works as an editor. Stories that might not have been suggested before. They might be around fashion and beauty, but they might be around just a general zeitgeist. And they might be around something that's happening, particularly around women, motherhood. Um, I've got a parenting column in the Sunday Times magazine as well. So I'm always aware of all of that. I bring a slightly different viewpoint and a different voice to things at the Sunday Times, which I think, you know, is quite exciting. I often feel a bit mad in conference when I suggest, you know, the return of the Ugg boo or something like that. You're the that. left field suggestion <laughs> yes, person. Because, well, I think also sometimes on a Sunday you want your paper to look exciting and glamorous yeah. as well as, as very, very newsy. We did a big piece on um, Christopher Bailey leaving Burberry. Um, he's the CEO at Burberry and the chief creative officer. So that's probably not a story that Sunday Times would have covered before I'd been here. Um, and we went big on it because and who who are the runners and riders to replace him because I think everyone's interested in that. Burberry's a very British brand. It's, it's, it's a heritage brand. It's very Sunday, feels very Sunday Times to me. We've tried to bring a bit of humour into the Sunday Times. We do the odd fashion story or celebrity story we think just lifts you slightly on a Sunday. Um, I'm quite keen on putting more humour in style, actually, because I think that's missing in the papers in general. Do you have a typical reader in mind uh, for style? You mentioned the data team there. They might mm. be able to tell you, but not just in terms of like gender and age and so on, but in terms of how they interact with it. You know, This typical reader that you might have in mind, do they take the paper version? Do they have a, a curated linear experience where they have to thumb mm. through it like I would do or is it largely digital where in a sense although you can pick and choose things each article and each section is competing against all the others for attention well for me the glorious glorious bit of the Sunday Times is that it's read by women of all ages so it's shared by mums and their teenage daughters which is why I introduced um, a Generation Z columnist not not for the teenagers but for the mums so that they would know what their teenage daughter you know I have two teenage daughters what they would be looking at reading what's going on it just it, it was an, an information based upbeat page so my reader in my mind is either of those women I mean one of the things that we feel is really important at the moment is to get help get the working woman dressed because I think a lot majority of our readers are probably career women I think we know from statistics that 
Sunday Times readers, female readers, don't read any other fashion and beauty titles. They don't read any of the glossies. They're not interested in that. So their only source of fashion and beauty information is style. So I feel quite responsible in, in that. So I should offer them a range of prices. I should engage them with fashion. It's, it's a phenomenal industry. It's £28 billion a year for the economy, the British economy. It's a massive force in this country. So Businesswomen should be engaged with it. It's really important to look good, feel good, and present yourself in a way that you want to be remembered and says something about you, I think. So they should be engaged with it. So we aim to give them all that fashion and beauty information, but then we should also be giving them upbeat, happy, light reads. We should also be telling them what's hot, new, and now. We should also be making them laugh. So it's a very wide kind of range for a reader. Um, So I try not to have that woman one specific woman, which I would have done for Elle, actually, and I would have done for Cosmo in my head, because the whole family reads it. You know, everybody reads it. And that's obviously the, the sheer depth and breadth of mm. the things that you can cover. In, in a sense, you've got the agony of choice. There's a litany of things you could include in any well, one I week, so want, how do you choose? <laughs> well, I, what I don't want to do is double up on what the rest of the paper is covering. So, you know, we are very specifically aimed at um, the more female audience, mostly because that's where our revenue is. You know, this is a biz- luxury fashion and beauty revenue model. So I need to deliver that to the people that are paying to support magazine so and it should be delivering big expensive glossy fashion shoots that look amazing and it should be reflecting what the fashion best of what the fashion and beauty industry has to offer so you know we we count vogue as a competitor you know we are the quality of contributors that we use on a weekly basis is either matches or is above vogue you know we use the biggest photographers the biggest stylists the biggest models we, we have access to all the fashion designers. So we're in a very powerful place because of our reach, but we're also in a place where we're bringing that to an audience that is quite wealthy and can spend that money. And it's also interested in it while maybe not being engaged with it outside of the Sunday Times. But I try not to cover what the rest of the paper covers. Every bit of the paper, it should be a package that offers everything to everybody across that range because we need to reach you know 1.9 million people every Sunday. So... Um, as I said, you know, I kind of, I don't have a specific woman in mind, but I do want her to, I do want fashion and beauty covered. We want all the hot new and now covered. We want what's coming covered. I think we're predictive, not reflective. We want to say what's coming ahead in the week. Um, and we want to make you laugh and we want to make you feel good about your emotions. We also, we've commissioned some huge writers. So all the new novelists that are coming out, I'm really keen that we get their names in um, as well, because it should be a really good read as well. And do you have a kind of symbiotic relationship with the brands? Because in, mm. in one sense, it's it's not like local or national news-based journalism mm. where you're holding them to account. A politician, you know, you might say they're doing this, that and the other. You're, you're presenting them in a good light. They need you and you need them. Um, I don't know. I think we're always, we, we always have an opinion, you know. I mean, I, I've always had an opinion on what, you know, we make sure that comes across in the writing if something's not good we'll say it's not good you know that's what a newspaper should be authentic and independent and I think the relationship between advertisers and the glossies has reached a place where it's not entirely believable for the consumer anymore I don't think and that's a little bit of a shame I think um but that's because I think the landscape of the glossies is 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 changing it, it the newsstand is a very difficult place for glossy magazines at the moment um but I think our relationship with the consumer is different because it comes under the banner of authenticity of the Sunday Times we have the insight team here you know they what they are there's a massive investigations team constantly 
looking out for the public, doing those stories. And, follow, and under the banner of that, if you come out as a product or a magazine or a digital product under the banner of that, you've got to be pretty rigorous about what you're doing. I'm not chasing big political exclusives. That would be ridiculous. They're going to go in, in the, the newspaper. I'm, I'm, I'm interest, chasing interesting people. We're not always going to present them in the light they want to be presented in if they want to be interviewed by us. But it's it's a slightly different remit. It's, it should be a, a sit-back read and a really enjoyable read. you know. But it should still be a really good, high-quality read, I think. But if Burberry, for example, mm. brought out a product that you didn't like, and obviously you said that, mm. then you know that might reflect on your relationship with Burberry. Well, we wouldn't cover it, probably, if we didn't think it was... relevant to our consumer and right for the moment I mean I think that would be there are a lot of things we don't cover because we just don't think Sunday Times readers will want to read it or wear it you mentioned about the digital strategy there Mm. so do you see what are the what are the kind of ways to get new readers in like Twitter we met before we started on their mobile phone that's that's where they are podcasting Facebook and all of these kind of things do you see them as as portals and destinations in their own right or do you want people to be signposted to the Sunday Times website from Facebook no, I, I, our seven days of style tra- strategy is interesting because it's content that's not in the print. So from my point of view, we will do big fashion news stories as they drop through the week, which we won't cover in the print because we'll be, we go ahead, we go to press 10 days in advance on the Sunday Times style. So we can't cover something that happened yesterday. That's not going to happen. We're not going to get it in a glossy magazine by that time. So our strategy was to start putting up, to have a conversation with our consumer throughout the week. So all day, every day on social media as our platform, Twitter, Instagram, we've done incredibly well on Instagram actually in six months, and Facebook, we will be talking to them, particularly with video as well. They like to see video. We do a lot of fashion and beauty videos. So we're having this conversation all day every day with them on the social media so that by the time the print magazine arrives on Sunday that's a that's a really brilliant extra thing so I don't I want them to read style across everything so they they should be logged in to find out what's happening on our Twitter they should be logged in on our Instagram as well to find out what's happening we did an interesting bit of research with an external um, analytics company on our Instagram and which we we put a lot of effort into over the last six five to six months since we relaunched in September and per thousand fans our fans are much more engaged with us than any of the glossies and that's because we're we're trying to be very specific about what we put up we're trying to put new stuff up we're trying to put up things with an attitude things that make them laugh and that has worked incredibly well it's much more shared and it's much more retweeted it's much more shared across Facebook that are competitive sets so that's interesting to have happened in while our num- actual follower numbers are lower, those engaged with us are more engaged with us. And that's actually more important, I think, particularly for advertisers who work with us and for consumers, because we're clearly telling them a story and they're coming back to us again and again and they're sharing what we show them because they like it. It might make them laugh, it might be new, it might be relevant and interesting. We do quite a lot around women and women's rights and um, gender equality, which I think is something Style wasn't doing before. And that seems to have resonated, particularly with our slightly younger audience. Well, you mentioned about gender rights. I mean, as a mother of four, do you find that the uh, the work-life balance everyone is seeking, do you, are you getting that in such a high-pressure work environment? I mean, there have been female leaders throughout News UK in the Sunday Times, but I think your former boss at NatMags singled you out for taking two periods of maternity leave. I mean, you couldn't <laughs> even possibly imagine that someone would do that now. I, I, I don't think anyone would do that now. And actually, to be fair to my boss at the time, I think he was ill-advised. Um, around that by the particular PR team that were working with him then because actually he's been he was a brilliant boss to work for um it wouldn't be done now though would it I mean I don't think we would 
contemplate asking a woman how long she was going to take or penalising a woman for any form of um, pregnancy related. I mean, I just think it's it's so unfair. It's just intrinsically it's unfair as a human. It's, it's ridiculous. ridiculous, frankly. Um, I have four children there. At the moment, they're aged between six and nearly 16. I have three girls and a boy. So from my point of view, my husband never gets asked about the struggle to juggle. Um, he has four children as well and a full-time they're job. They're the same children, actually. <laughs> <laughs> they're the same children, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's kind of... And we have a dog as well. I don't know if that's relevant. But I think what I've been firm about in my career is what can I deliver at work and what can I deliver at home and where does my guilt line lie so I could not be the news editor of the Sunday Times for many many reasons but I couldn't because I would work too late too long I would feel too guilty I'm not mentally equipped to do that there are we have a brilliant female news ed- uh, editor actually who is mentally equipped to do that and she's very good at it so you work out where where it works for you and I think I've had bosses who've been really great about listening to that I had um, Anna Jones at Hearst who was the CEO who I had two children and I was there um, and I came back on a nine-day fortnight from my third child because I wanted to spend more time. I had it written into my contract that I would finish at five o'clock. We changed the schedules so that everyone started earlier, finished at five o'clock so that I could be home to do bedtime. Bedtime was a crucial thing to me. It was just, it was really, really important. Just for me now, age 42. Me. <laughs> yeah. I like to get tucked yeah, in. Yeah, so do I. I like to be in bed by <laughs> half nine. Um, so that, that was really important. That Everyone that wrote about it at the time said it was a lifestyle contract and it was only because I was an alpha woman that I could demand that. But you know what? That was stupid because... If you don't ask, you don't know. Shy Ben's getting out. Well, if you deliver, you deliver. I mean, it doesn't matter what how you do that. If you can make it work and you sit down and you have a plan, anyone, male or female, if you can deliver, then you deliver. If you don't exactly. deliver, then you've got to start again and say, well, I'm just not in the room for enough hours. I'm not there at the important times I should be. So, And you do give up things, but you give up things all the time in life anyway. It's just what makes you happy and function properly and deliver the the goals that you are set I'm very logical about it if I can't do it then I won't ask for it but if I think I can do it because I I don't know I mean I don't know how in the women you've interviewed but there is no one who puts themselves under more pressure than women trying to to do all things all at the time and you you can't do it all You, you simply can't so you work out the bits you can do really well that you like that you're really good at You'll deliver at work and then you deliver at home. When it starts to break, then you then you change. And we're all different personalities. I have a lot of help. I have a really brilliant husband who does fifty percent of the childcare. I've had three brilliant, brilliant nannies um, in that time. Amazing nannies in that time. And I'm really proud that I've been able to afford proper childcare. Nannies I I had a column in the Daily Mail for a long time. Um, and every time I went mentioned the word nanny, people went ballistic and said, if I was going to hire a nanny, I might as well hire a prostitute to sleep with my husband. So I think it's the nice. word. It's okay. the word that, <laughs> that does it. But nannies are much cheaper than nurseries when you have lots of children. Um, I think you just try You've got to make it work for you. You must. If there's one thing I can say to women, younger women coming through, you just have to ask. You, you have to go in and say, look, if I did this and I still delivered that, is it okay if I only work four days a week? I only work four days a week at the moment. Um, but I'm pretty sure I'm delivering everything I need to deliver. You do just dip in and out when you're at home. But I think you, you're a great... It's good to have great female role models um, 
in the house, I think. it's. I don't see it as male and female. I just see it as e- equality among the, you know, the humans with penises and the humans with wombs. That's kind of what I'm always aiming for. And you are right, because the only thing anyone ever really cares about is results. It's, it's, true. it's a cliche, because it's true. Yeah. If you're delivering and doing a good job, which you clearly are, then who cares how you do it or what time you arrive? Or yeah, how many and days as, as long do. as not, you know, everyone else isn't picking up after you that's the kind of and as long as you you are not judgmental of people who do it in a very different way I just think there's a lot of judgment around how women do things and we all do things that in the way that best suits us and that make doesn't make us ill and doesn't ruin our family lives or ruin our um, work lives because you should really look forward to going to work every day now I'm not on the front line I'm not saving lives in A&E I'm not working in a, a war I, I'm not a, a soldier or a nurse or I get so I absolutely understand my privilege around that you know but I've worked very hard to be where I am you're creating today. a meaningful experience for people on a regular basis yeah but, you know, I have more flexibility because I'm not in those careers. I completely understand that. But I just think women probably should feel a bit more confident about asking for things. And, and male bosses, which is, you know, anyone who's got sons and I've got a son, should be listening. Where are the pain points in your job? I know mm. we've discussed there, you know, as a woman, the, the, the lifestyle choices that you have to make and how to fit it all in. But in terms of the actual responsibilities that you have, what is it that keeps you up at night? Where are the pain points of the job? Things that are unfair make me very cross. I mean, I'm fairly straightforward as a boss. I'm not, you know, I'm quite thick-skinned, so you can tell me what you think, and I don't sulk, so I'm over anything in five minutes. So I think I'm quite self-aware. I don't know, people might say I'm not. The pain points, in a way, are when I think I've got something wrong, which really I hate to be factually inaccurate. Hate it, hate it, hate it. When I think we haven't gone as far as we absolutely could with a massive project and I think oh, we could have done a bit more we should have asked bigger at the beginning we should have pushed it a bit more that those things worry me I don't I refuse to feel guilty about missing a play or some kind of school event that I think it's, there's a lot of emotion loaded on women um, to always be there all the time for everything. If you have four children and you don't work, you can't be there all the time for everything. It's simply not possible to spread yourself across. The stuff happens on the same day. It just That's the way it is. I think I don't want to ever get it wrong for my children. I think that's, you know, I want them always to feel supported that I'm not distracted when I am there, that I'm there for them when they're needed. I, I don't know. I try to have quite a fun time every day. <laughs> I'm surprised you've got any I time to do to it. Come in and just think. Well, you know, we should just crack on with this and and enjoy it. And you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it does, that's absolutely brilliant. I'm not massively confrontational. I always think there's a way through somewhere. I just I quite like people, so I'm quite I'm not worried that we aren't going to get it done because I think there'll be a route somewhere. I'm quite good at asking people in a different part to do a different thing or thinking laterally I guess I'm quite good at thinking laterally an ultimate question then because we, we are running out of metaphorical tape what advice would you give to someone who wants mm. to replace you in a few years <laughs> and be the next editor of style I mean in one sense uh, I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast before that you know there are so many more opportunities for aspiring journalists to get their name known with blogging and podcasting yes, and so yeah. on but on the other hand like you said you started at the local newsroom there's so few opportunities yeah. now for people to get that first rung on the ladder so you know if one of your four children wanted to start out a career in journalism would you put them off and if you were going to encourage them what would you say should be their first step if you like writing you must write that's kind of an absolute key you 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 can't keep in so if you want to be a journalist 
go and find stories it's really that simple create them make a space or platform where you create stories there are so many brilliant brilliant platforms i think the world is much much richer for all the big particularly in the field i look in when i look at refinery 29 and all the platforms that women are on and young women are on and youtube and all of that storytelling is really 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 brilliant so many things i women i would not have known about if i had not found them there so do that get there do it make it and then pester and pester and pester and be prepared to work really 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 hard i think that's at the beginning of your career you should take a step back and think this is it for me now seven days a week I'm just doing it and I must really really enjoy it and I must do it to my best of my ability and produce the highest quality I can at the beginning I think there's loads of opportunities I think the digital world is fascinating and it will move and it moves so quickly whatever we're talking about today is is already gone that's boring and old and I love that I think change is brilliant be ready for change this is the world where people have to change lots of young women that work with me at the moment do lots of other things at the same time they have lots of passions they're interested in they should definitely follow them all and you you can have what they call a portfolio career I think people can do lots of different things at the same time I think that's the joy of not thinking oh well if I go and work on a local newspaper I have to be a photographer or a journalist you can do both digitally you can do I think that chance to do lots of things and be skilled in many many ways is absolutely brilliant you can make your own magazines you can produce all sorts of things using lots of different parts of your brain and enjoy all of it and then work out what you want I think that's I think working really hard my generation were fueled by stress, I think, working hard, long hours. I don't think that's necessary anymore. Do the things that you do really, really well and then have a life as well. Last question then. What's next for you? And I know you, you, the, the standard answer is I'm very happy. We'll see what happens. Gymnastic no plans to move. Olympic gold. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I've never had a game plan. So I've always wanted to edit a glossy. So I did that and I did, I did the two that I loved the most. Um, Eyeing up Martin's chair? No. <laughs> I, I he's sometimes not sat in it, you know. <laughs> you could just sit in it while he's not there. <laughs> it's got a stand-up desk, actually, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I could hover yeah. outside. No, I don't want to edit a newspaper. Um, I don't think I'd be particularly good at it. Um, I think what I I really enjoy. I love fashion and beauty. I do love that world, and I have many many friends in that world. And it's such an amazing creative um, world for people from all backgrounds, actually. Because you already are, um, at the, as we said at the beginning, the top of the, this game, aren't you? I know, but what is top? What does that? I mean, well, I this. don't know. What does that mean? I don't know. I'd like to do something completely different. Um, would you stay? I'd like fashion? to write a book at some point. Ah, right. um, would, would you move into like change media, like do more video, television, uh, no. podcasting, no broadcast, <laughs> We've radio? Done a, We've done a brilliant podcast, actually, with our um, astrologer, Shelley Von Strunkel, who's American. She's got this amazing accent. It's so lovely to listen to. She looks like she'd have an amazing I accent, fear actually. Yeah. I may not have that accent. <laughs> um, may not be so listenable to. I don't know. I'm open for, you know, I, I, I love the digital world. I'd quite like to work in that world going forward as well. I'm, I'm pretty happy at the Sunday Times, actually. I mean, I can sort of... I feel I might be here for quite a long time. <laughs> Lorraine, it's been fascinating to listen to. Thank you ever Thank so much you. for your time. A Right Angles podcast in association with Big Things Media.